Welcome to All Shall Be Well, a conversation hosted by InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions, giving voice to women seeking to live fully into their God-given callings and be a redeeming influence, whether in the university or beyond. On this episode of All Shall Be Well, Conversations with Women in the Academy and Beyond, we are delighted to share with you one more conversation from our summer 2020 series entitled Dear Mentor Live, MBA Edition. This series was inspired by the Dear Mentor column that you can find at thewell.intervarsity.org slash dear-mentor, where mentors answer questions sent in by our audience. The questions asked in this series originated at the Women's Luncheon during the annual Believers in Business Conference. The luncheon was hosted by the Director of Women in the Academy and Professions, Karen Guzman. In this episode, you'll hear from Sandy Japp, the Sarah Beth Brown Professor of Marketing at the Goazueta Business School at Emory University. We are really grateful that she took the time to offer her stories, experiences, and wisdom to our community, and we hope that you'll find them inspiring in these challenging days. Along the way, I ended up going back to graduate school and I kind of fell into kind of getting a PhD. But I remember at certain junctures that I really did just pray for clarity and for, you know, just a sense of confirmation and a sense of peace that this really is the path that I'm being called to. And I remember that, you know, there was one point, unfortunately, I can't remember the verse anymore because this was like almost over 30 years ago. But I remember very clearly finding a verse, I think it was in the Old Testament. And when I read it, it just kind of very clearly gave me such a a deep reassurance and peace that God was with me and, you know, and with my choices and that I wouldn't be alone. And then at that time, I was kind of struggling with, you know, should I get a PhD? Should I go to graduate school? You know, I mean, because... If I get a PhD, then I'm not going into industry and, you know, making money. So, and then at that point, I kind of felt like such a deep peace about pursuing a PhD. And it was based on those verses. I honestly wish I could remember them. But I think that's kind of how I I came to the point where I said, okay, this is the path to go. And I'm kind of, you know, putting my hand to the, the anvil and not looking back because I know that this is what I'm called to do. And so... Yeah, so that's kind of how I started down the path. Great, thanks. And then how about over the years, have there been spiritual practices or habits that that have been particularly helpful for you as you've sought to nurture your love for God and your love for neighbor? And then also wondering too, this kind of part B of the question is, have you seen particular habits or disciplines change over the years, depending on, you know, season of life or stage of life or job situation or what have you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I have seen that. And I've kind of engaged in a range of different practices at different stages. So for example, it kind of started when I was in high school, I was in a youth group with a youth minister who really impacted me. And the way she impacted me was that she was open to my questions. I would ask very hard questions about, well, is God really true? And what about this? And what about that? And, you know, and she never turned me away. She never belittled me. But another thing she, I did a lot with her is that I would, um, we would go out and we would, you know, in the Southern Baptist Church, you visit like classmates, like if they didn't show up and you would go and 
you'd have visitation on Wednesday nights. We would go and visit. So it kind of got me into this mindset of serving and also just a sense of just being grateful in terms of like all that God had given me and kind of showing me that the way I lived and the way I was raised was very different from many people. And then as I, as in college and for the, probably the next 15 or so years, I always had a very regular quiet time in the morning, a time of prayer. When I started working in my career as a junior faculty member, I made it a point to make sure that I take Sundays off because otherwise I would just work seven days a week. And so I kind of found that taking the Sabbath and honoring the Sabbath on a weekly basis was actually really very helpful for me in terms of gaining perspective. And so the daily quiet time being plugged into a Bible study that really, like I did um, BSF for a while, Bible study fellowship, which is really kind of a deep dive into the scriptures. As a junior faculty member, I have gone to faculty camps. Like one was about the historical Jesus, like, you know, and, and that was all for faculty members from across the U.S. And we would kind of look at, you know, what's the academic historical evidence for you know, the existence of Christ. And so I've done things like that. And of course, like going to church every week, being a part of a small group, you know, worshiping at, as in a corporate assembly kind of thing has always been a part of my life as well. I think like more recently, I will be on, like, I'll be honest, like I don't always have a daily quiet time anymore. I've kind of more moved towards like constantly being in an attitude of prayer. And I do that a couple of different ways. Well, just by praying <laughs> throughout the day, but also by, like I listen to, like I try to uh, listen to a lot of like Christian music. I find this to help me kind of, you know, keep the right perspective on the day, to have the right attitude and to be kind of constantly in an attitude of praise. So I do that more and more as Karen said, I've been trying to be a part of a regular prayer group to try and make, you know, my prayer life more consistent. I'm a part of here at Emory. We're fortunate in a varsity has a group of Christian faculty and we're, we all are like, we've read various books and had discussions and we are pretty consistent at meeting like every two weeks together to discuss and to read a book. And that's really helped me a lot as well. And I've also been mentored by Christian people as well, Christian faculty members, um, female Christian faculty members, that has helped me a lot as well. So all of these different practices have impacted me and helped me at different points. Super, thank you. So let's think about a few specific ways that your faith has uh, influenced the way you engage in various situations, particularly in the workplace. So. The first one is, why don't you talk about stress a little bit? How do you manage stress and the pressure of demanding job? Yeah, well, the stress is never ending. And there are various ways. I think the key thing is to keep your relationship with Christ front and center, you know, and to keep that open, the lines of communication between yourself and God. And also, like to pray constantly. And I think that that's really important for just giving, for myself, giving me the right perspective on everything. Like my prayer is, is almost always help me to see the situation the way you see it. 
Because if I, if I can see that, then that helps me make better choices and to understand the wisdom and, and to maybe, you know, temper the response that I would like to give if I could. So I think that that has helped. Of course, I do things like I try to exercise regularly. So keeping Christ first is number one, exercise regularly, but also there are practical, there's a lot of practical things you can do to manage stress in terms of, you know, like prioritizing where you spend your time, right? Because that's the one thing that we all have an equal amount of, and we never have enough of. And time is one thing that we can't create more of, right? So I think, so I'm really, really quite brutal about how I spend my time. So my priorities are, you know, first Christ, then my family. So I have two kids, they're now teenagers, and then my job. And so things that will eat up my time that aren't really that valuable and don't really have high impact. So, I mean, people laugh at me because I say, I don't do housework and I don't do yard work. And, you know, part of it is because I think it's, they're kind of forms of tyranny, but the other, the other part of it too, is that I just don't have time, even if I you know, I enjoy being in my yard, but I really don't have time. And I'm not going to prioritize that over time with my kids or something like that. So things like that, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have like a super nanny who is able, she does a lot of the housework for me. She helps me with cleaning, you know, I'm, I'm single. So she helps me with transporting my kids and she literally like helps me stay together and that reduces a lot of stress. And she's so reliable that I don't have to worry about my kids because I know that they're going to be safe and she'll be with them. And so those are all forms of stress relief. And, you know, and I also have to just have some time for myself And as an introvert. Maybe that means, you know, that I just need time where nobody's around me <laughs> sometimes. And or maybe it means that I need to do something I enjoy listening to music or I don't have as much time to read a book as I as I used to anymore, but I enjoy playing tennis or meeting a friend or something like that. So it's a balance of all of these things. And it's a balance of being very brutal with my time. And also, like even the time that I spend at work, just prioritizing and, and only doing those things that I feel really have a payoff and not doing things that that I don't really feel are useful from a professional point of view. So how do you protect your priorities? I'm assuming you've learned to set boundaries. So how do you do that? How do you keep what's important important and say no to all of the other demands that come your way? Yeah, well, I think I always feel like God's will for my life has to be marked by both peace and a lack of chaos, right? So Chaos is kind of, to me, like a sign that, okay, you know, there's something wrong. There's something, there's something that is, is not right. Because I think that, you know, God's way is, is marked by peace. It, it's not always an easy path, but his presence and his peace has to be there. And so, like I said earlier, like I might, professionally, I might like look to my mentors to say, hey, you know, I've been asked to do this. Is that really, you think that's a really good thing for me to do? And fortunately, my mentors would often say, no, you know, that's not, that's not something that, 
is really going to help you to do. Or they'll say, yeah, you should definitely do that because that's really just an important sign of professional success. It shows that you've arrived and you, you need to just go ahead and involve yourself or serve in that capacity. So that's one way that I've learned. But I've also just learned to say no. And there are many different techniques for saying no that are guilt-free. <laughs> so one, one technique that one of my Christian mentors told me is that she would often, she would have a no list. And every time someone asked her to do something, she would tell the person no, and then she'd write down the amount of time that that request would have involved, and she put it on her list. So speak at this conference, that would have involved two days of her time, you know, go to this event, that would have been four hours of her time. And so she writes it down, she writes it down. And then at the end of the month, she looks at herself and her list, and she says, wow, look at all that time I saved, you know, I just feel so, so good about myself. So that's one technique she uses. Another technique I will tell you, this is, this is my technique, and I tell this to like scores of junior faculty and, and people that I speak to. So I was a junior faculty member at MIT. And when I was there, we hired this guy, his name is Dan Ariely, and he's now become a very famous behavioral psychologist. He, you know, writes for lots of newspapers. He's in the Wall Street Journal. But when we were junior faculty, I remember that we would look at our mailbox and our email inbox and everything was like, could you please show up at this? Could you please come to this? Could you speak at this? Could you be a part of this? And I remember as junior faculty looking at all these requests and just thinking, if I said no to all these things, I would never have time to actually do my job, right? And it seems like that's kind of what I'm here for is my job. So, you know, we once asked them, we said, you know, Dan, we're like, how do you cope with this? Like, how do you say no nicely? And his answer is, he said, this is what I say. What I tell them is, I'm sorry, but it's just not possible. And I would encourage you to rehearse that because that has since become my mantra. When people ask me to do something, you know, I'll just say, I'm sorry, it's just not possible. And Dan said, when you put it that way, there is no way people can come back to you anymore. They're not going to ask, you know, you don't have to get into why you can't do it. You don't have to defend your decision. You don't have to explain it, but just say, I'm sorry. It's just not possible. And he says that will end the conversation. And he's really right. It does. And so I tell junior faculty members all the time, just say this, I'm sorry. It's just not possible. And I say that a lot. And I've had people when they've asked me to do something and I've used that, they have said, you really do use that line, don't you? <laughs> so, so they've seen me put it into action. But that's how I say no to a lot of things. That's great. My next question, Sandy, is have you found yourself to be at an impasse or in a challenging situation over the years, you know, either in your early years or later, it doesn't really matter. But over the years, have you found yourself to be at an impasse or in a challenging situation because of your gender or race or both? And if so, how did you think, how did you engage that? And what suggestions do you have for folks on our call tonight who might find themselves in in a situation like that? Yeah, I can say that that has happened to me many, many times. It can happen in small ways. So for example, 
um, when I taught undergraduates, I had a lot of students who would ask me for grade concessions or concessions on a date, on a deadline or something like that, things like this. And I felt like, you know, there was a lot of negotiation attempts. And, you know, I wondered in the back of my mind whether or not my colleague in finance, who was kind of a tall white male, was getting the same requests, right? And I suspected that he didn't. So those are kind of like some of the small ways. But certainly at different promotion times, I remember when I I had a dean who had promised me a chaired position at a certain point. And I found out that even though he had the unilateral power to do that, he instead engaged a group of other senior chair professors in the business school, all of whom were men. And many of them, and what I heard, uh, what I understand from the internal conversations that were happening was that they I think there was just some resistance to giving a chair position to a woman or, and, you know, there were some racial issues involved. And so this was something that clearly hit me because of my gender, uh, because of my race. But the other part of your question, Karen, is like, you know, how do you, how do you deal with that? And I'll tell you that I don't know if I, I don't have good answers to that. So I will tell you my first response was to get mad (laughs) and to get angry and to be uh, maybe a little less than nice. So I would not advise that. That that really actually hurt me for a number of years. It took a long time to kind of recover from that. But I did, you know, I even went to like university, like diversity officers or deans or provosts or things like that. And they basically gave me a very unsatisfying answer, which was that they said, well, you know, eventually, we know you're going to get a chair eventually. But, you know, at this point, it's kind of like people don't want to admit that they were wrong in their decision, even though my, my point of view was like, look, they're factually wrong about how the decision was made, right? And here are the facts. Um, But you know, so I found that answer to be kind of unsatisfying too, which is like, well, just wait. <laughs> I was like, where's the justice in that, right? But sometimes that's what God calls us to do too, like in tough situations is to just wait. So I don't know that I have really stellar advice or solutions about how to, to deal with that. Yeah. There are some things that you can't change, right? Some things that are as we say, exogenous, um, beyond our control, and they happen to us. And I'm not sure sometimes that we can change it, but we can pray um, and we can know that we are not alone and we can be strong despite those circumstances. And ultimately we can live a life that is not defined by those circumstances. Um, And I think that's kind of the path that, I ended up pursuing. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And sometimes it takes you, uh, you have to get past the heat of the moment, right? (laughs) To recognize some of those pieces. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to pivot a little bit. Many of the folks on this call are 
going to be involved in, I mean, staying with the gender question at this point, right? So many of the women on the call are going to be in industries that are heavily populated or dominated by men. And just curious, how do, any suggestions that you might have for women about how to carry themselves in those situations, how to engage, how to interact? even what to wear. I think sometimes a lot of women are wondering in those sort of in those spaces. So what, what suggestions do you have for those of us who are going to find ourselves, you know, find ourselves uh, working in career situations again, that are heavily dominated by, by men and, and want to know how do we as Christian women carry ourselves in those spaces? Yeah, well, there are, and there still remains many industries dominated by men, white men especially. But I would also say, and, and that's, that is tough, um, but on the other hand, these days are some of the best days to be a woman in these industries, simply because more than ever before, there are so many visible, successful women. And there are probably visible and successful women, even in the industries, male-dominated industries. So, so I think that's the good news. I would definitely recommend a couple of things, which is that especially in, in business organizations, there are many great mentors available, both men and women. And I would definitely recommend an array of mentors not just professionally, but maybe also spiritually as well. I think that that helps a lot to just get the advice of people who are 15, 20 years ahead of you. And I've seen a wide range of experiences. So I think that's important. I also think too, that it's important that as women, that we don't allow our imposter syndrome right, to kill us. And I think a lot of it, like ed being educated about kind of how women think, like how and versus how men think about professional opportunities helps. Like, for example, there's a lot of research that shows that women fail to network as much as men. So that means that, you know, when you go to conferences, you should network and don't just seek out women's circles of women seek out the circles of men. And it also, there's a lot of research, for example, that shows that leaders, the people who are seen as leaders in meetings are people who speak frequently, okay? Not people who provide high quality inputs, right? That actually is not linked to perceptions of leadership. It's the frequency of speaking. So I would always, for example, make sure that I spoke up at every meeting I was in, okay? And if possible, more than once, because, because if you understand how people are processing, you know, it's just a cue, right? Another thing that I do is, you know, it's like, for example, there's research that shows that women do not volunteer or suggest or apply for positions unless they feel like they are fully qualified and experienced and capable, right? Whereas men might look at a list of, you know, here's requirements for a position. Oh, I can do two or three of those. I'll apply, right? And so it's, it's so like you need to understand that those mindsets are different so that your mindset doesn't kind of doesn't hold you back from kind of leaning in and participating. And there are also like a lot of things you can do in terms of just how you conduct yourself, whether it's in meetings or with other men. So like, for example, 
I think these are like things at the margins, right? Like if you ever come into my office and sit down in my office, you might notice that the chairs for guests are a little lower than my chair, <laughs> right? So, you know, I mean, there's something about, you know, looking up at the person in the office is kind of helpful. I mean, sometimes when a man walks into my office, I won't remain seated in my chair. I'll actually stand up so that my level is closer to his. I'm a very short person. I'm five feet two. So I don't really want to be talking to people in a situation where I'm always looking up at them or at, you know, too much of a height. I think Karen asked the question about how to dress. I think I think for women, you should dress in the way that makes you feel the most powerful and most capable, right? I know like for myself, I feel like if I'm dressed well, if I like the way I look, I feel like I'm like I can interact better, right? I'm not worried about how I look. I can focus on, you know, what's the task at hand. So, I mean, those sorts of things, I think understanding where the differences are in terms of how women see opportunity, understanding, understanding like what makes you feel kind of stronger or more capable. I think all of those things or positioning yourself in groups of people or in meetings or with men in a way that is equal, right? Because I would bet more than anything that most men or most women on this call that you're more capable than you give yourself credit for. And you're certainly, you know, any man with similar capability would probably give themselves much more credit and put themselves much more out there. They would lean in more than a woman would. And that's, that's just kind of a difference in wiring. So I think it's okay to be aware of those things. Great. That's helpful. So this is a, an advice question, and this I think would be true for both men and women at this point. But for those who are finishing up their MBAs, or you know, they're sort of at the start of their careers, maybe they've been on the job for a year or so. Particularly right now, in the midst of the pandemic and all of the uncertainty, what advice do you have? Um, those that are looking for jobs, those who had hoped to be in internships this summer, right, that may or may not be happening, those who may have begun a job, but, you know, the the whole COVID thing is shut down so much. So just what advice do you have? Yeah, well, first of all, my heart just goes out to all the MBA students, but most students in general who have had their hopes for internships this summer, you know, disappointed or who have had those dissipated. For those who had graduated, I've been a part of a number of virtual graduations. It really is heartbreaking. And we are a part of history in the making. And it is just very, I hope we never have to do this again. But so first of all, my hearts just go out to you. It is unfortunately one of the worst economic situations probably since the Great Depression, and it may prove to be worse than the Great Depression. And unfortunately, we don't know yet, we're not out of it. But I feel like at the same time that there, that in this upheaval and in this time of extraordinary change, there's also the time for extraordinary potential and creativity. And what I mean by that is 
that organizations are definitely going to be changing. The way we do business is going to be changing. And it's going to call for people who are different from the people in the past that have historically been hired. I think that these circumstances are creating the need for a lot of resilience, a lot of flexibility in people. And I think that as a person who's graduating or looking for a new job or looking to switch, I think the flexibility, the resilience is a key criteria that firms will be looking for because we don't know what's coming, but we need people Firms need people, organizations need people who can live in whatever that new normal is going to look like. And I will tell you on the firm side, I speak on to a lot of different industries and executives. And, you know, I have my advice to them has been don't sit still during this time. Try new things, try to change, be creative. This is a great time. And especially, you know, for there are firms out there with resources and, you know, there are firms looking for the right people. And I told them, look, if you've got resources, absolutely. You should be hiring from your competitors. You should be hiring the great talent that you can because there's going to be a great supply. So I think that I think that there remains a lot of opportunities. They won't look the way they did in the past, but I think that that people are looking, organizations are looking for people who will be a little flexible and creative and willing to try new things. Great. So is Sandy related to what you were just saying about resilience and in some ways flexibility and sort of bringing some new skills to the table, which may have always been there, but not necessarily were as needed or as value perhaps than these days. I'm curious for those who are who are either thinking about changing jobs, looking for a new job, or who are unemployed at this point, any suggestions about ways in which to keep themselves sharp or particular skills that maybe they could be working on or developing now during these days of waiting, if you will? Because also it's true, a lot of firms have just put hiring freezes mm-hmm. on, right? And so while we're still waiting for some of that to sort of open back up, what are some of the ways that folks can be preparing themselves for when that's an option again? Right. So actually, one one thing that has become quite popular and that I think is a good idea, well, some people are going back to school. They're getting educated. Um, That's kind of a oftentimes a multi-year commitment. That's one way to do it. But one thing that's trending now is getting certifications. So for example, like I'm developing a certification in, I teach something called channel strategy. It's routes to market. It's about how like manufacturers sell through wholesalers, distributors, and distribution channels. And so on Coursera, I'm developing a certification in this area. So what a certification usually involves is if you take a sequence of classes, and in my case, you do a number of quizzes in these classes, and once you've completed them, you can get you can receive an official certification that you can then put on your resume. Now you can get these certifications in anything. And I'm just speaking from business because that's like the only thing I, I really know. But for example, we have certifications in data analytics and social media. I'm sure there are flavors of this in finance and accounting, things like this. So 
I mean, one thing that you can do that I think is fairly accessible is to improve your education, your capabilities, and put those things on your resume as a way of maybe improving how you look to a potential employer. Another thing you can do is to use social media. So for example, I know that a lot of people are using LinkedIn. There's a lot of jobs that are being offered on LinkedIn. There are a lot of communities, groups. There are a lot of ways to network and to follow people. And these days with social media more than ever, it's really, it's easy to kind of develop relationships by starting up conversations with people, whether it's you know, even whether it's through Instagram or whether it's through LinkedIn. And so, but for employment, I think LinkedIn is is also a very important space where you need to be both in terms of meeting and and networking people, at least until we start becoming more face-to-face. So I think those sorts of things can help. And, you know, there's something, there's a lot of research on something that's known, the phenomenon is known as the strength of weak ties. And the strength of weak ties is basically an empirical finding that shows that opportunities, especially employment opportunities, are best had or the the quality of them is best when they come through people that you know kind of more peripherally. So that's what we mean by a weak tie. So a strong tie is a person who you know very well, a very close good friend who you know deeply. But a weak tie is maybe a friend of a friend. And these kinds of weak ties are actually an excellent source of employment and finding new opportunities and things like that. And so I would definitely think about that. And and that's what social media often supports is these weak tie structures. So you want to be thinking about how am I cultivating my weak tie network so that I'm getting exposed maybe to people that that you never know, might be potentially interested in you or find a connection. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Really helpful. Okay, so I think we're small enough that we could take questions from the floor if anybody has any questions for Sandy. Hi, Sandy. This is Henry. Hi, Henry. Hi, hi, Karen. So my question is, given what you know now, if you look back, like what are some of the things you'd have done differently? (laughs) <laughs> how much time do you have henry <laughs> as much time as this is free advice i'm in no hurry to go nowhere thank you yeah i think that well i mean the first thing that comes to mind is that my personality i mean i'm sort of an a type so and along with that means i, I can have very little patience sometimes for i don't know a lot of different things. So I think like, if anything, one of the biggest things I, I regret is maybe being impatient or even being angry with people in my life, personally, professionally. Also, I think maybe the way I've handled conflicts sometimes at work. So there have been conflict situations. I've never been very good at handling conflict. I've learned over a 30 year career to handle conflict better. So I think those things, you know, kind of preparing yourself or getting ready or thinking through how to have difficult conversations, particularly when you are 
a person like me who is sort of quick tempered and quick to speak her mind without really thinking about the consequences or the impact on others. Right. And I know that, that there are people who are the opposite where maybe, you know, they feel like they don't express how they feel adequately enough. So it, it you know, it can work two different ways. I think, I think that's definitely something that if I could, I would do those circumstances over. I would maybe hold my mouth a little more, maybe try to think about situations from multiple perspectives and think about it more deeply. I also think too, that maybe one thing that I wish I had done differently, especially over the course of my career is, you know, to prioritize my closest relationships um, in terms of family members. So I know that for a period of time, especially as a junior faculty member, I, I think my my siblings and my parents would feel that I wasn't very accessible because I was pretty busy. And, you know, so I think that that during those years, I think I probably could have done more to be more considerate and more accessible and to prioritize that more. You know, I am, I mean, I am and I was a, a very ambitious, and very competitive person. I felt a lot of pressure, both as a woman, as a minority, to really kind of perform and to achieve. And I think that the regrets are that sometimes I did that maybe more aggressively than I should have, or without thinking more about the impact on those who are close around me. So yeah, I think those are some of the things that come to mind. I'm sure I could think of more. <laughs> and you probably would have bought Zoom stock, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Or, uh, yeah. I'm really, really bad at that stuff. <laughs> actually, you know, what's, what's ironic is that, well, you know, most of us faculty members, we study this stuff, but we can't actually do it, right? So even my colleagues in finance, like, they're not good stock pickers either. Um, I think as academics, we're too risk averse and, you know, so yeah, we're just too risk averse. We think about it too much. I think. That's right. And hindsight is twenty twenty, right? But no, but I do appreciate what you shared. Thank you very much. Do we have time for another question? Sure. I'll let you squeeze one in, Regina. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> Hi, Sandy. Thank you for your talk. Resonated with a lot of things you're saying. Uh, my question is that you mentioned that you're an ambitious person and I can relate to that too. How do you hold the tension between having a great vision and having realistic expectation? Mm -hmm. And you don't want to sell yourself short, but you also don't want to be greatly disappointed. And of course, you know, how does uh, your faith, you know, even play into that? Yeah, I think that's, that's a, a great question, Regina. So I think for me, I've always kind of just given my career, like throughout the whole whole process, I've always said, you know, God, first of all, I'm here because I believe you put me here. I believe you have a purpose for me. And I would ask God, please help me to be successful because I do have a vision of not just being successful, but really wanting to do the best work that I can and really to kind of just be a good steward of the capabilities, the opportunities, the resources that I've been given by from God. I will share with you that early in my career, I used to often pray the prayer of Jabez, First Chronicles 4.9. And 
part of what that is, is it's a clear request to God, please, you know, just bless me and enlarge my territory, right? In my world, it means expand my circle of who I know, my circle of influence and who I come into contact to. But also the prayer says, you know, let your hand be with me, let it be upon me, keep me from harm. And, you know, similarly, keep me from harming others. And my prayer throughout my career has always been that, yeah, I want to do my best and I do something that I love, but on the other hand, I realize, God, that any success has to come from you, right? And so in my case, like in my context, I would pray, like, you know, I pray that this paper would go through, that, you know, the, the reviewers who are looking at my work would kind of see the value in it and just go from there. And, but, you know, I, the way I pray is I also say, God, this is what my, my request is. This is my heart's desire, what I would like. But on the other hand, if you don't give it to me, and if it doesn't happen, it's okay. I mean, I still love you. And I'm going to believe that that's the path, right? So if I don't achieve the success or the things that I would like, it's going to be okay too, right? Because at the end of the day, I think I'm here for you and for your purpose, right? So, I mean, that's always kind of been my prayer. And fortunately, God has really, he has really blessed me and he has really given me a very large impact within my discipline and I think a very good reputation as a result of that. But I've always felt like I think we're called to be his voice and his hands and his ears in a situation. But beyond that, how he uses us and all that goes on around that to me is his choice. I hope that helps. Yeah, great. Thank you. Super. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for coming. Thank you, Sandy, for being here. And then I'll just point you to The Well, which is Women in the Academy of Professions online space. Lots of articles and uh, interviews. There's even a Dear Mentor column. We've taken our Dear Mentor column and we've turned it live, which is what we've been doing with folks this summer. And so we invite you to join us at The Well for other resources. So Thanks again. Thank you for being here. Thanks again to Sandy for joining us tonight and I look forward to being with you all the next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of All Shall Be Well, Conversations with Women in the Academy and Beyond. Information about our guests can be found on our podcast page at thewell.intervarsity.org slash podcasts. This has been a production of Women in the Academy and Professions, a focused ministry initiative of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA. We value the contribution of podcast guests who are not employed by InterVarsity, and we acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may or may not represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. Thank you for joining our conversation as we engage in faith and life together. We'd love to hear your feedback. To share your thoughts or to learn more about who we are or the resources and connections we provide, we invite you to visit us at our online gathering place, The Well. You can find us at thewell.intervarsity.org.